Welcome to Knowledge on the Go, where we explore the leading practices that have merged in Vizient's PI collaboratives. I'm Jim Lickauer, Senior Performance Improvement Director for Pharmacy at Vizient and the host of today's episode. In this podcast, we'll discuss the strategies ThetaCare implemented to improve their utilization of biosimilar medications during the optimization of biosimilar medications collaborative. Biosimilars are drugs that are highly similar to the original or reference product, but have no meaningful difference with respect to safety, purity, or potency. However, since they are not exact replicas, they are not considered generic equivalent medications, and therefore most are not approved to be interchanged with the reference product without provider approval. In 2010, Congress approved an expedited pathway for approval of biosimilars. The first biosimilar was approved in the U.S. in 2015. There are currently over 30 biosimilars approved by the FDA across 13 reference products, and over 100 more products are in development. Spend on biologics continue to outpace the total market by a greater than two-to-one margin. A potential savings of over $100 billion with biosimilars is predicted over the next five years. However, biosimilar utilization in the U.S. has been slowed by many issues. Overcoming these issues has been challenging since there are multiple and different stakeholders involved in each step. We must address the current barriers and position ourselves to address new issues as additional biosimilars reach the market. Joining me today to discuss the optimization of biosimilars at ThetaCare are Wendy Beasy, System Director of Pharmacy Services, and Carmen Gust-Owens, System Clinical Pharmacy Coordinator. Welcome, Wendy and Carmen. Thanks for having us. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having us. So, Wendy, let's start off with you and telling us a little bit about ThetaCare. Yeah, sure. ThetaCare has actually been around for a while. We just passed our 113-year mark with our Nina Hospital as the original founding hospital. And it was founded by Theta Clark Peters, who is a family member of the Clark family, which you might recognize Clark from the Kimberly Clark organization, which they make Kleenex and Huggies and other paper products. So that's our claim to fame here. But Theta had unfortunately died during childbirth. This is back in obviously 113 years ago, so back in the late 1800s. And she had left an endowment to start a hospital in Nina so that that community would have closer access to healthcare and that hopefully nobody else would die because they weren't able to get to a place of healthcare in time. So that's really where our roots are. But our ThetaCare mission really feeds into this history. And kind of in a nutshell, our ThetaCare mission is to improve the health and well-being of the communities that we serve. ThetaCare serves Northeast and Central Wisconsin. We have a 17-county region that we cover, and there's about 600,000 residents in that 17-county region. ThetaCare employs 7,000 healthcare professionals and support team members. We have over 180 different points of care. So we have eight hospitals with two more being built here in the next year and a half. We also have primary care offices. We have post-acute spaces. So we have skilled nursing facilities, as well as a home infusion and home health service that we provide. We are non-for-profit and some of the specialties that we have are level two trauma. We have a comprehensive cancer treatment center, stroke and cardiac programs, but we kind of cover the wide gamut of healthcare. We want to make healthcare easier and we want to deliver high quality, affordable care. I'm just going to underscore the affordable care part because I think it really ties into what we're talking about today with biosimilar conversion. Really, the whole purpose behind biosimilar conversion is to make healthcare more affordable, both at a macro level, but also at a patient level, so on a micro level. So as we stated, biosimilars are not new to the market. So when did you start your process converting to biosimilar products and how would you describe your initial work, some of those barriers and the results in this space? I would say that we, on the broad spectrum of things, we weren't an early adopter only because we were a mid-sized healthcare system and we always feel like we're struggling for resources. We really have wanted to do biosimilar conversion for a number of years. It's been on the docket, but we started out with really just passive biosimilar conversion. So that was in 2018. 
And we started out with adding biosimilars to our inpatient formulary through our PT process. So the first product that we put on formulary was in 2018. We put Zarzio, which is one of the Grastem biosimilars on our inpatient formulary. And then in 2020, we put Ruxiance, which is one of the rituximab biosimilars on our inpatient formulary. 2020, we put Nivistim, which is, again, it was a change from the initial Zarzio biosimilar that we had put on formula in 2018. So we'd gone back and revisited it. And then in 2021, we selected Inflectra for the infliximab product of choice and put that on our inpatient formulary. And while these changes saved us some money in our inpatient space, most of these we don't really use a whole lot of in our inpatient space. We use them primarily in our outpatient space. We really knew all along that this was a good start, but we needed to take that next step and do active conversion. Earlier this year, spring of 2022, we really started kicking off that active conversion. It had been on our pharmacy strategic plan for 2022, but then our organization also came along and started something called Game Changer Work, which there's a couple different arms of that, but one of the arms is cost savings work. As part of that work, we really had a platform within our organization to really hit the ground running with our biosimilar active conversion. That Game Changer work really allowed us to have very close access to our senior and our executive leadership to help us execute our plan. They really have been helpful in helping us remove any barriers that we've come across in our journey that we weren't able to remove for ourselves. And they've also really held us accountable to making sure that we are moving along and actually making headway and getting savings from this initiative. So Carmen, as Wendy mentioned, Biosimilars was on your radar for quite some time. And when you joined the collaborative, you really laid out a detailed plan and got to work. So can you review your initial project plan for us? Yeah. So as Wendy alluded to, we kind of developed a more concerted effort in spring of 2022 and through ThetaCare's Game Changer initiative, along with the help of Vizian's optimization of biosimilar collaborative, we're able to better focus our efforts. We started in our regional cancer center and began with the conversion of the trastuzumab, bevacizumab, and the rituximab groups. For trastuzumab, we chose our biosimilar as trasimira. For bevacizumab, we went with zirabev. And then for rituximab, we went with ruxians. One of the reasons we began with our cancer center is because all of our providers luckily were in-house, so they were all ThetaCare providers. And this made the transition when converting patients much easier and smoother. We are able to utilize our pharmacists and the collaborative practice agreements that we have in that space to smoothly change patients over from one product to another. Additionally, we created a group of pharmacy leaders to begin this work, and we held many long meetings focusing on in-depth financial analysis to narrow to our preferred biosimilars for the three classes of focus. After then choosing those preferred biosimilars, our next step was to engage our key stakeholders. For us, that really included letting our finance partners check our work. We are not accountants, but we were pretending to be. (laughs) So they took a look at the many iterations of the Excel spreadsheets we went through and looking at cost and rebates and different specialty contract pricing along with reimbursement and really helped make us feel comfortable that we were going with the biosimilar that really maximized savings for us. From there, we also had a revenue integrity team take a look at this just to be sure our contracting was all good from the payer aspect. And then finally, we made sure to include our prior authorization team. The reason we did this is because obviously a lot of these 
patients we were going to have to get approved for new prior authorizations for those new biosimilars. And this is a little bit of a heavy lift from their aspect. So we wanted to make sure that they knew we were going forward with this, why we were going forward with this, in what ways can we alleviate any burden for them and help them along the way. So this kind of helped with just buy-in from that group. From there, we also needed to have other stakeholders like our providers obviously needed to be informed, our pharmacists, our nursing and support staff, and then finally purchasing. Our third step was then to focus on education. So in educating our providers, our frontline staff and our support staff, we found it helpful to do this by presenting at our oncology PNT committee meeting and then also at our oncology all staff meetings. We made sure to really focus on the why behind the change and focusing on that high quality, affordable care for our patients. We found it very helpful to use tables that kind of gave a side-by-side comparison of the reference product and the biosimilar product. And what this did was really helped in one snapshot show the similarities between the two products and also highlight the tremendous amount of savings we would have if going with a certain biosimilar. Usually the most concerns came as if the FDA indications differed between the reference product and the biosimilar. But we were typically able to ease those concerns by giving examples of other products that are used all the time off-label and then the providers that kind of ease their concerns with those questions. So that was kind of what we did for our first few steps when beginning our project. A lot of work then leading up to the next important step is where you got to actively convert the patients. So can you describe how you determine the best approach for making the conversion in your process for converting patients? I think we are extremely lucky here at Theta Care that we have a very fantastic frontline staff of pharmacists that were able to help with the initial reports for this. So they ran reports of all the patients that would fall into any of those three drug classes that we would need to convert product. And from there, then we grouped those patients by payer group as those are going to have the same preferred biosimilars within those payer groups. And then we went from there to prioritize based on the date of their next infusion. For example, if you had a patient that was due for their next infusion next week, we wouldn't try to switch them right then and there because you're not going to have enough time to get approved and potentially other things that you'd have to switch. So we typically push those kind of to the bottom of the list and focus on those patients that were maybe more three to four weeks out to convert. Then along with this work, you always have to take into consideration that you're going to have patients that just don't fit into any of these perfect little boxes of converting everyone. You're not going to have 100% conversion in every group. There's going to be patients that payers aren't going to let you switch to the biosimilar that your institution prefers. So it's kind of good to have an idea of your step-by-step of what would be your next preferred biosimilar. So make sure you're also looking at this when you do your financial analysis, have a first preference, a second preference, maybe a third, et cetera, and let your teams know what that would look like. And then additionally, there's going to be other considerations, which would be if patients are either on a medication assistance program or compassionate use programs or on a copay assistance program. If they're on a copay assistance program, you'll have to just kind of take into consideration that's going to take more time to switch those patients. Make sure you account for that. And then If you're on medication assistance or compassionate use and it's coming free direct from the manufacturer, unless there's a good reason to do it, you're probably not likely to switch those patients. And additionally, those aren't going to count into your percent conversion anyway because you're not paying for that product. So just kind of keep that in mind. And then just overall, you don't want to delay care for your patients. So any of these steps that you're doing, you want to make sure that the process is smooth for the patient so that everybody has buy-in, they trust what you're doing, and the process just goes smoothly for everyone involved. 
Oh, yeah, and great work in staying focused and sensitive to those patients' needs in both the efficiency and ease of care, but also the cost to the patients. So I commend you on that work. As I said earlier, you engaged the right stakeholders, you developed a detailed plan and really got to work. And so you've had a great deal of success. Can you share your outcomes and projected savings with us? Sure, yeah. We began talking about it in spring, but we didn't actually start switching patients over until the month of July with our first full month of switching patients in August. Since that time, our most updated data shows that we have 87% conversion in our trastuzumab class to trazimira with the remaining 9% to another biosimilar conjunti and then another 4% on reference product. And then in our bevacizumab class, we have 70% conversion to our preferred Zerabev biosimilar with 28% on another biosimilar in Vazi and then 3% on reference product. And then in our rituximab class, we actually achieved 100% conversion to our preferred biosimilar of Ruxians. Then with these overall conversions, we have projected that we'll have an annual savings of over $3.1 million. So now that you've worked through this, you've obviously learned a lot. What advice would you share with our listeners who are planning to implementing similar strategies to optimize their biosimilars? I think the biggest thing to look at is really doing a thorough financial analysis in that first step with your team, making sure that you're taking into consideration every avenue for costs and savings, reimbursement, contracts, etc. These changed several times in different meetings as we went along. Many different Excel spreadsheets were formed. So being sure that you're really confident with your decisions in your financial analysis, that you've looked at it from different angles, and then really having finance and your revenue integrity team do a thorough dig on what you've come up with to make sure that you're going with the best product to maximize savings. Another thing that we kind of ran into, we had that initiative from our senior level leaders with the Game Changer work. And once they saw how much savings we were going to have with these changes, really pushed us to start doing our conversions quickly. And we didn't really involve purchasing probably as much as we should have. We should have given them a better timeline of when we were going to be switching and to what product. And the reason I say this is because we had, when we did start converting, we ended up having some reference product and some non-preferred biosimilars sitting on our shelf that we may not use. So obviously that's wasted cost there. So make sure you're including your purchasing team and your buyers right up front and they know what the timeline is on everything. Another aspect of this, which we're moving into that now with the new initiative phase two of our biosimilar project is if you're doing conversion of biosimilars for providers that are outside of your institution space, you'll need to use a different tactic in converting. Make sure you kind of have the expectation that this is probably going to take a little bit longer and more care will be needed in disseminating information about what you are doing and why. And this will help to hopefully increase buy-in and increase your conversion percentages. We found that with these outside providers, it was helpful to create provider-specific letters for the patients that you plan to convert about what you're doing and why. And then also include within those letters an ordered preference of your preferred biosimilars. We've also had more benefit in switching in small batches in this phase to kind of address any issues that arise along the way. And lastly, we found it beneficial to have meetings with these larger provider groups to address any questions or concerns that they may have about the changes. So, Wendy, you started off in your cancer center. So where do you go next? Carmen kind of started talking about this with the last question, but we started with our cancer center, which really provided us with some quick wins. It really only took us a month to get all of the patients that we had identified for conversion to our preferred biosimilar to actually get them converted in our cancer center population and for those three products. But this next phase that we're working on right now, in which we 
started in August, right after we wrapped up the conversion for the oncologic products. This next phase is focused on switching patients over to our preferred biosimilar in the infliximab category. We've chosen Avzola as our preferred biosimilar. As Carmen talked about, this has definitely been a little bit more challenging than the oncology products were. Most of the providers that are writing for these infliximab products are not employed by ThetaCare. So these patients are being seen throughout our organization at our outpatient infusion centers. And most of the providers either are part of independent provider groups, or they might even be coming to us from out of market. So that's been a little bit more tricky because we can't just go to a P&T committee meeting and engage those providers there. So with the Avzola, we did the same thing with the report where we ran it by payer, but we also ran it by provider so that we could start bucketizing patients by provider group. And we really identified that probably about half of our patients that we are targeting to convert over to Avzola, they're either being prescribed by a provider group who's actually in our ACO, so not employed by ThetaCare, but definitely have a partnership with our organization. And the other part of that is we have an attached children's hospital that's not ThetaCare owned, but we have a partnership with them. So we really identified those two groups as being the larger provider groups that we independently touched base with to really go a little bit more in depth with them to answer questions and help them understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. So we've had a little bit better success with that by meeting with them and answering them and really letting them know that we're here to partner with them. We're not trying to make things more difficult for them because they are not data care employed. These groups actually do their own prior auths. We also learned that pretty much every patient that's on an infliximab product, whether it be reference or a biosimilar, are enrolled in a patient assistance program. So that actually brings their copay down to $5 out of pocket. So we had to shift our conversation a little bit because it's hard to make the point that this will reduce your patient's out-of-pocket expense when that's not necessarily true because they're enrolled in these copay assistance programs. So we had to kind of shift our conversation to this is really looking at healthcare costs as a whole and really doing our part to help manage those costs and try to make healthcare more affordable in general here in the United States. So I think we've had some success with that. We're not even halfway through our conversion, but I think we're having some success with it. And I think our goal is to really try to wrap this up here in the next two months. So that's where we're going next. Wendy, that sounds like a great next step. Thanks for sharing that. That's all the time we have for this edition of Knowledge on the Go. I'd like to thank Wendy and Carmen for speaking with us today. And thanks to our listeners. Please review additional Knowledge on the Go podcasts and look for our new podcast by subscribing to our channel today. 